Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. We've got a great show for you today. Tether, the stablecoin uh, that we've been talking about in our Tether investigation, uh, has a longstanding critic. Many of you know this person from their Twitter handle, Bitfinext. They are an anonymous Twitter handle run by a real person who has been riding Tether for, I think, close to five years. And we talk about the history of Tether, potential implications of a crash, and much more. And he is anonymous. We don't know who he is. So this is the first time in the history of the program we have an anonymous guest, but we know it's from that Twitter handle. But we could be being punked. Who knows who this person is? But they have been for years. That's what we do know on the Tether story. So take this for what it's worth. We could be getting punked. This could be somebody inside of Tether who created this account. I don't know why they would do that. Who knows? It could be a disgruntled employee. We ask them if they're a disgruntled employee or competitor. They say no. So you're going to have to take this one, buyer beware, as our first anonymous ever interview. But first, we're going to talk about Joe Biden's antitrust executive order, which was just signed today. Okay, stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Ladder. For fast, easy term coverage life insurance, choose Ladder. Check out Ladder today to see if you're instantly approved. Go to ladderlife.com slash twist. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash twist. Calm for business. Healthy and happy employees create successful companies. And that's a fact. Calm for business can help your employees be their best selves at work. Get a free well-being ebook and one month free of Calm for Business after you attend a free demo at calm.com slash twist. And Embroker's Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. Okay, in the news, Joe Biden has signed a new executive order on promoting competition in the American economy. As you know, we've seen a lot of saber rattling over the last couple of years from Obama to Trump and now on to Joe Biden about big tech. The scale of these companies, whether it's Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, is larger than anybody ever really anticipated, uh, including people in the industry. We never thought these companies would get to a trillion dollars, let alone two or three. And their impact on the world is becoming great. Uh, and in most ways, it benefits consumers. Antitrust law was designed to protect consumers and to keep a competitive marketplace. That's why we're having a hard time deciding if these companies are in fact hurting consumers. If they were price fixing, and every time you use Gmail, you had to pay 10 bucks a month for your Gmail account, and then it went to 12, and then it went to 25, and they kept raising the prices, and maybe they were in cahoots around that, that would be one issue. But if users can get free photo services with unlimited uploads on almost every service in the world, and they can get free email, and the price of an Amazon Basics cable or battery is a fraction of the brand names. There's really no consumer harm, and you don't see consumers shouting from the rooftops, break up big tech. But you do see a number of people in Washington over time showing concern about this. It has now become acute. In other words, Joe Biden signing an executive order and 
um, some of the people he's putting in place, and the fact that the GOP, the Republicans and the Democrats are in agreement on this is the big change. That's the big change we're seeing. What other issue can you think of where Republicans and Democrats are aligned and both want to see the same outcome? They can't even agree on infrastructure. They can't agree on pandemic regulations. They can't agree on our borders. I mean, they're just, it seems like they pick adversarial positions as a default. But here, they're both in agreement. My theory on this is, a lot of people on the left felt that Trump in some way benefited from Facebook advertising, Cambridge Analytica. Uh, we can debate that, but uh, there was clearly some shenanigans going on there. And Facebook was influential in elections. In fact, Facebook is so influential in elections, we know this, that they have a team uh, that trains people uh, in elections on how to use their advertising services to win elections. They literally cannot say on one hand as Facebook, we are not impacting elections and then have a team selling ads embedded in different people's campaigns to help them win elections. So we all agree on that. Whether you like Hillary, hate Hillary, think the election was stolen or not. Then in 2020, we had Trump get suspended from all these services. So if you're sitting there and you're in Washington and you're a career politician, now you've seen both parties become disgruntled and you've seen somebody just basically get removed from public life. Trump, that I think has led Washington to believe it's now time to take action against big tech. That's my belief. Maybe it's cynical. But I believe that's why this is coming to a head. There are other issues that are not about competition, but are of concern to citizens in the United States. One of them is uh, wealth disparity. They see Jeff Bezos becoming worth a lot of money and, you know, Zuckerberg, and they feel that's unfair. What does that have to do with breaking up the companies? Feels vindictive, feels like you're changing the rules of the game. Let's put that aside. I do think that's an undercurrent of public support. Then you have these companies not paying any taxes. And then you have some individuals who are getting loans against their equity, which is totally allowable under our current law, but they're not paying taxes the way we all pay taxes on our income. And then third, uh, of course, privacy is becoming more and more of an issue for some people that's a serious issue. Other people, it feels icky, many people, perhaps most don't even care. So that's the climate we're in. And that's the emotional uh, sort of backdrop to what's happening right now. And just last week, uh, James Bosberg, a judge threw out a recent FTC case, and said it was ridiculous to reverse a merger that was completed almost a decade ago. Of course, he was speaking about Facebook's Instagram acquisition in 2012. So that's the backdrop. What is this new order? Well, this order, this executive order, uh, includes 72 initiatives by more than a dozen agencies to promptly tackle some of the most pressing competition problems across our economy. And that's a that's a quote there. Some uh, things included in this are initiatives to ban or limit non-compete agreements. This is great. In California, we don't have non-competes. If you worked for Tesla or Apple or Waymo in self-driving, you can't take the documents and the IP from that company to another company, as we saw with Waymo and Uber self-driving um, in that case. But you can go work at another company. Other locations, I believe Texas and some in the Northeast, allow non-competes, which means if we can pay you 
your salary for the next four years, pay or play, uh, so you can work for us, play, or we will pay you to not work on self-driving. That limits competition, so that's good. Another item in here is lowering prescription drug prices, so obviously this goes beyond big tech, uh, allowing hearing aids to be sold over the counter, make internet access more affordable by banning excessive uh, early termination fees, that makes sense. Ends landlord internet service providers exclusivity arrangements, that's fantastic. So if you live in a building, you know, some would just previously offer Comcast, because they had some side deal with the landlord or just using an example there. And here's the quote, the overarching objective with the executive order is to make sure the president is encouraging competition in industries around the country. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters on Thursday, this follows Biden appointing Lena Khan, which we talked about as the chair of the FTC which was approved with bipartisan support. So again, there it is bipartisan support. And you know, the way I always look at this is why is this happening now? Again, I went through wealth disparity, Trump and Hillary and the impact Facebook, Instagram, Twitter have had YouTube on banning those people or maybe putting their thumb on the scale uh, and helping ones get elected. At least that's the uh, perception. We don't know if that's true. Tax avoidance is a huge one people putting their IP in Ireland and not paying a ton of tax, this makes people feel really bad about it. So what's going to happen? We know that consumers are not being harmed in the short term. They're not. In the long term, you have to make a really weird sort of argument that okay, because um, there are not seven more photo sharing apps. And because Instagram is owned by Facebook, you're not getting enough competition for your photo sharing, probably hard to make that argument. Now, if somebody like Amazon uh, copies everybody's products, and they went from having, you know, I think it's maybe hundreds or low thousands of Amazon basic services, and they decided they would have a million of them, and they would put them first on the lists, or Google is putting their Yelp review competitor above Yelp. Those are the kind of things where on the edges on the margins, you might see some consumer harm. Again, it's just really hard to determine. So what's going to happen? I think what we're going to see is the big tech companies are not going to be allowed to make future acquisitions that are large. In fact, I think many of them are not even trying. So that chilling effect is here already. I think we would see some major acquisitions going on if people felt they could clear market. I don't think people feel you know, Netflix being bought by Amazon, or, you know, something of that scale, Uber or Airbnb would probably be on the bubble under 100 million, 100 billion, rather getting bought by, you know, one of the bigger services, I could almost see that happening. I think that's kind of the ceiling is, you know, maybe when you know, Coinbase getting bought by Google, I could see that going through. But I maybe not when you get to 200, 300, 400 million dollar services. So something under 100 billion, pretty easy something at two 300 billion pretty hard to get through. Uh, and things in between might take time. But a more likely scenario is people opt in and say, you know what, Google spins out Waymo does a SPAC does a direct listing YouTube goes out. Uh, and, and Google just becomes search and they take all the other bets nest, and they just start spinning those things out. Amazon web services, if that became its own independent company, and you had Amazon and Amazon web services, I think it would unlock more shareholder value as an independent company. And then I always think about myself, and about you, the audience as startups, what does this do for you? Well, if these big companies get broken up, or they're not allowed to buy large companies, that's good for the smaller companies. For the smaller companies, it means that maybe they 
these big companies will not be as quick to compete against smaller companies. They'll stick in they'll stick to their lane. They'll stay in their lane, as it were. And uh, David Sachs predicts Amazon spins out AWS. Um, he, he predicted that in July on July 6th was a couple of days ago, because as he says, of all the big tech companies, they are the smartest chess players. I think he's right. And I, you know, I've talked about this a whole bunch. Jeff Bezos did something amazing. And it was a controversial decision inside of Amazon. We're going to let third party sellers sell on Amazon, and we're going to let them buy ads on Amazon. This seems crazy. That you know, the idea that you could come onto our website, and sell your products and you do the fulfillment, but Am the people get the beautiful Amazon experience. It's like, wait a second, why are we giving away this incredible Amazon Prime experience to third party sellers? And we're competing against them. This makes no sense. What Amazon, I think, realized was, you know, giving people more choice and having a big, robust platform was more important. And they can always point to that. I think it's 40 or 50% of the sales and the items. It's either the sales or the items on Amazon. Somebody fact check me on that. Uh, come from third party sellers. So Bezos allowed these because it was better for consumers. And he said that what's the best outcome for consumers. And this is where the law is just really um, problematic. The law is to help consumers. It's in the best interest of all these big companies to help consumers. So what we'll probably see is some regulation around privacy, some voluntary spin outs, some blockages of large um, acquisitions, and then maybe even, you know, Google search results will be uh, tampered a bit. And maybe, you know, they'll not be able to put certain things up top, or, you know, they might even have to give some insight into their algorithm, which would be super interesting. I know that's a Hail Mary, and unlikely. Uh, but you know, big tech will fight this. And they may uh, put in somebody into office after Joe Biden, who is more pro big tech. At the end of the day, it's going to be the consumers are not losing right now. And the people who will lose are the people who are the large shareholders in those big tech companies. They're really the only losers here because they might lose, you know, control over the ecosystem because of their scale. Ultimately, they might actually wind up doing better. Bezos might be worth more. He might be worth more money when they split these up. And that's going to be the great irony. Oh, we're trying to, you know, solve wealth disparity with this. That's not going to get solved with this. All it might do is make you know, Larry and Sergey even more wealthy as Waymo, if it succeeds, becomes a trillion dollar company, or AWS becomes a trillion dollar company, you might have the baby bells. And when we broke up the phone companies, the baby bells in this situation could be the baby Amazons, or the baby Googles, and those spin outs could become worth as much or more than the original companies, quite possible, Amazon Web Services becomes worth more than Amazon, the e-commerce store. So 55% third party sellers in Q1. I said 40 to 50%. So I, I, I had some old data there. So Amazon Web Services has been built to be easily separated from what I understand. Facebook did the opposite. They tied together all the backends of WhatsApp, Instagram, and they did that for a reason. They want to claim. I mean, I know it sounds cynical, but I kind of, I kind of have the inside line on this one. So trust me. They integrated that stuff deeply so that when people came and said, break it apart, they could go, oh, we don't, it's going to be too much work. You're going to cause us so much harm. Only shareholders, people's jobs. We'll see if that flies uh, in with this incredibly, th this deepening resentment of big tech and wealth polarization. Sometimes you can overplay your hand. My advice to the big companies, pay taxes. Stop. Even if you can stop trying to do all these end runs, start paying people really well who maybe work in your stores, you know, increased 
you know, your transparency in privacy, and maybe don't compete as savagely when a new startup comes out, you know, we saw this with Clubhouse, they came out and then all of a sudden Zuckerberg, Slack, Spotify, everybody had their competitor up and running immediately. It's that kind of quick copying that I think gets people worried about competition because the scale of these services are so big, but I don't see anybody mentioning that. And that is a very interesting dynamic. Is it better? And I don't know if anybody has the answer for this. Is it better that Spotify, Slack, and Facebook and Twitter come out with Clubhouse clones, competitors, coexistors within the first year of Clubhouse or because it creates more um, activity in the space, gets more people exposed to this new feature, just like stories getting copied from Snapchat gave more people access to that technology, that service? Or is that worse for competition? I don't actually have the answer to that. I can see people arguing it both ways. Okay, let's get to this incredible interview with and our first anonymous interview in the history of the program in over 1100 episodes, our first anonymous interview with the Twitter handle Bitfinex. As founders, investors and executives, we spend so much time building up the companies and products that we love and care about. But at the end of the day, life is fragile, and things can get taken away at any moment. So it makes sense that people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a little bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder makes it really fast and easy to get covered. You just need a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder smart algorithms work in real time so you find out instantly if you're approved. There are no hidden fees and you can cancel at any time life is short make sure you have insurance and since life insurance costs more as you age now is the time to cross this off your list go check out ladder today and see if you're instantly approved go to ladderlife.com slash twist once again l-a-d-d-e-r life.com slash twist ladderlife.com slash twist and let's see if you get approved all right next up on the program for the first time we are going to disguise our guest's voice. And we're doing that because our guest today is uh, a self-described whistleblower. And you may know that we've been talking about the stablecoin, basically a cryptocurrency called Tether on this program for a couple of weeks. And if you know anything about cryptocurrency, you probably know our next guest through his, and we know it's a he, <laughs> Uh, so we've narrowed it down to 50% of the population or thereabouts. Uh, but we actually don't know who this person is. We don't know what their motivation is. Uh, but we will get into that as we have the discussion. He runs a handle on Twitter called Bitfinext. B-I-T-F-I-N-E-X-E-D. Bitfinext. And uh, he's been running that account since April of 2017 when it was created. In order to, in his uh, worldview, bring some attention to tether and so welcome to the program anonymous disguised voice bitfinext hi thank you for having me okay uh so right off the bat um i guess it would be good for you to explain to us what is a stable coin when did you become aware of stable coins so I first became aware of Tether actually uh, probably it was early 2017, um, and I remember uh, seeing you know B you know Bitfinex trading, and I, I always watched you know the trading of Bitfinex, 
And I started investigating Tether probably, you know, around late March, early, you know, early April 2017. And I went through the, uh, you know, the terms of service for Tether and trying to figure out what was exactly what, you know, what was going on, you know, on there. And I, when I read the terms of service, you know, the terms, terms of service basically said that, you know, um, it's not, you know, the, the tethers were completely not redeemable. So I was, I was always already suspicious of it. But at that time, I didn't really put the, together that, you know, Tether and Bitfinex are owned by the same people. And that was, you know, the, the website for Tether didn't actually list any, like, I didn't have it about us. And as I was watching Bitfinex and I was watching the trading on Bitfinex, I started noticing in late March of uh, 2017 that the trading is, you know, um, peculiar. So that, that's, that's kind of when I started, you know, kind of noticing, you know. And Bitfinex is um, a crypto exchange for people who don't know, and it's an offshore crypto exchange. It's not one here in the United States, right? Right. Yeah. Explain to us what the goal of a stablecoin is and why a stablecoin would be necessary. And then we'll get into the terms of service and, and your motivation here. Okay. So the, the, the whole point of Tether was to solve a banking problem with Bitcoin exchanges. Um, you know, Bitcoin exchanges, they, they kept getting basically blocked from having any kind of bank accounts. What, why were they being blocked from having bank accounts? Mainly because the exchanges, they don't, want to, they don't want to really comply with KYC AML. You know, Coinbase, they comply with KYC AML, so they have banking. You know. Explain what those are, KYC and... So KYC is know your customer and anti-money laundering. So basically, um, when you trade on Coinbase or um, Bitstamp, they verify your, your identity. They, they, take, they ask for your ID, you know, they ask for your, you know, your social security number, stuff like that, to make sure they know who they're doing business with. Um, those exchanges usually don't have any problems obtaining banking. Bitfinex and the offshore exchanges, they don't want to do the KYC AML, so they have problems with banking. Mm -hmm. The idea of, with Tether was Tether was going to go ahead and comply with all the banking regulations, and they would go ahead and open the banks, and they would basically receive dollars, and then they would issue a token. And that token was supposed to represent those dollars. A legitimate version of Tether would basically, they do all the KYC, all the AML, and then they just allow the the, the Bitcoin exchanges, hey, just implement Tether and it's, a, it's on the blockchain. It's, it's backed by dollars. Here's our audit. And, you know, you, you, that would solve a real problem in cryptocurrency with all these exchanges basically constantly having these, you know, magical banking problems. Um, and that Got was the it. idea behind Tether. And, you know, th that's, that's not a, you know, it, it's still probably most likely to be illegal, but it wouldn't be a fraud. You know, it's just, it's just trying, to, just trying to work around the, you know, the KYC AML um, issues. So would I be correct in saying that people who, want to get around KYC, know your customer, and anti-money laundering, AML, would that group be uh, people who maybe are part of the underground or a black market or a gray market? Or are these people who maybe are just from foreign jurisdictions? Like, why wouldn't, uh, why would the customer need this service? Um, I think the vast majority of the trading and the vast majority of users that they're going to have are going to be most likely going to be black market and, you know, potentially gray market, you know, or, you know, and a lot of money potentially could, you know, could be stolen, you know, or it could have, it could have bad, um, you know, who, who knows, you know, what could be going on with it. Um, but I, I have noticed that when, when Bitcoin exchanges like implement actual KYC AML, for example, their volume goes down tremendously. Got it. It's friction. Yeah. I, 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 I feel that, you know, m most of these users are going to be, you know, uh, black market and, you know, maybe some gray market stuff. But I think the black market stuff is going to be significantly higher than like if you, if you have a local country that has a, you know, that has a bad, a bad 
a bad currency and they want to hold dollars and you know they can't maybe they can't get a bank account in the u.s you know okay yeah they might be holding tethers but and there, might, there may be a few edge cases that are like that but i think those are going to be edge cases those aren't going to be the vast majority of people using tethers and some people said these stable coins would just make things faster even for legitimate people is that an accurate description of the legitimate use of say a tether is that it's faster to move money around? It certainly is. You know, Tether is faster to move than bank wires. Um, that, that certainly is true. Got it. Okay. So Basically, it's just a blockchain transaction. You read in the terms of service. So you're one of those folks who reads the terms of service, the 1% of users who reads the terms of service. And you see in the terms of service for Tether that you are not allowed, you are not guaranteed the ability to get your money back, in other words, to sell your tethers back to Tether. So when you go to their website, their website basically said that, you know, you know, you know tethers are backed one to one, you know, um, with US dollars. And then you go look at the fine print and uh, they, they basically tell you that tethers are not money and not monetary instruments. You know, they're not stored value or currency. And then the keywords or the key sentence is there is no contractual right or other right or legal claim against us to redeem or exchange your tethers for money. <laughs> and that was, that was the original terms of service. That's the original terms of service. And that terms of service has changed. And in the beginning, they were marketing this. And this is super critical. In the beginning, they were saying every tether has a dollar. And every tether will only be worth a dollar. And that dollar will be stored in a bank account somewhere. So you never have to worry. If we have a tether, and a tether exists, we have that dollar. And then if somebody cashes it in, we do what's called burning of those tethers, correct? Right, correct. Got it. Now something changed along the way. But it makes one wonder why would they put that in the terms of service to begin with? Do you think this started out as being something fugazi or shady? Or do you think something happened along the way? that made them change the terms of service. And then I guess would be good to talk about what the terms of service says today. Okay, so those terms of service, I believe were added sometime after um, Bitfinex, uh, Phil Potter and Juan Carlo Devacini uh, basically bought Tether from the original founders of Tether, which was um, Brock Pierce, Craig Sellers and uh, Reeve Collins, I think. Um, they they kind of, they started out the business and then basically Bitfinex just bought it from them. You know, I, we, don't, we don't know how much they paid for it or anything like that, but so they bought it from them and then they had those, and then they changed, you know, they, they changed that, uh, those terms of service, basically adding that, adding that light in there. Um, I actually have um, one of the, the main Bitfinex supporters. Um, he goes by the name of Swapman. They actually, or he actually admitted to me that they, they added that to try to bypass money laundering um, regulations. Ah, so they, they put in there that these aren't worth anything. Therefore, you can't come after us for money laundering or KYC rules because we're saying people are buying funny money. In, in, a, in essence, they're buying like Zynga tokens or something to play poker. It, they have no value is their claim. Correct. This is after claiming that there was a dollar in the bank for every dollar. So they're kind of having it both ways. They're marketing it as one thing. But then the terms of service are saying the exact opposite. This is virtual currency that has no value. Correct. Okay, that's confusing enough. Healthy and happy employees create successful companies. That's it. That's a fact. And Calm for Business can help your employees be their best selves at work. You can partner with the number one mental fitness app to provide support and tools for your employees right now. Calm can help kickstart mental well-being initiatives by 
empowering employees to stress less, to rest better, and to build resilience. And you know what? If they're less stressed and they rest more, they're going to make better decisions. Calm has an entire library of content specifically designed for the workplace. And this includes lo-fi music playlists that'll make you calm and get you into that flow quick breathing breaks that'll lower your stress and increase your decision making ability guided meditations and hundreds of soothing sleep stories they even have programs tailored for mental health and productivity like the mindfulness at work series millions of employees at over 600 companies like lincoln iterable and universal studios use calm for business to make their employees more productive less stressed and to just make a higher functioning company right now calm is offering a free well-being ebook for hr and benefit leaders and one month free after you attend a free demo at calm.com slash twist that once again <laughs> you know how to spell it c-a-l-m.com slash twist that's why i invested in the company i thought that this company could change the world and i am so happy to see calm doing that every day so what's happened since that time because there's bitfinex and then there's tether and people thought these were two different companies but then they found out at a certain point accidentally i believe that these are the same company so that's actually a very funny story um because i figured out that bitfinex and tether are run by the same people because bitfinex and tether sued wells fargo so i literally had the lawsuit that Bitfinex and Tether filed against Wells Fargo, and I had sworn affidavits from the CEO of Bitfinex and Tether, where they basically admit that there's they're the same people. So wow. I took excerpts from that lawsuit and I shared it on Twitter, saying, "Hey, these are run by the same people," and nobody believed me. Hmm. Oh, that's just fud. Oh, that's not true, you know. And I had sworn affidavits, and people claimed it was fud, which is, I think, a classic. Correct me if I'm wrong. Any criticism of any cryptocurrency. Uh, the people who are stakeholders in that cryptocurrency are apt to say that you're spreading FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And that is like a way of sort of neutering any criticism. But in this criticism, people told you it was FUD, but you knew that through this, these legal documents you obtained. Right. Um, and this is public information. This isn't a secret. This is, you can't really, I mean, you could fake it, but it's obviously you'd fake it, you know. Um, but um, the only time people really started to believe that Bitfinex and Tether are run by the same people um, was after the Paradise Papers leak. And another point I'd like to make is I actually had audio recordings of the chief strategy officer of Bitfinex and Tether, Philip, Philip Potter, um, where he actually, at first, he, he kind of it says that, oh, well, we just bank at the same banks. And then that was sometime in, in 2017. And then in 2016, he actually admits that, you know, yeah, you know, we were majority owners of Tether. The money's all there. Uh, I don't know what I can make people feel better about that, but doubt I will. You know, that's basically, you know, what he says. He doesn't actually, you know. Those recordings are on the internet today, correct? Yeah, I, I, I published all those. Um, Bitfinex tried to get them removed off of YouTube. They, uh, fortunately, they failed at doing that. Great. Okay, so we'll put those into the show notes here. And people remember the Paradise Papers were the this leak of documents of all of the um, 13.4 million confidential electronic documents relating to offshore investments that were leaked to a German to German reporters. Um, and they shared them with the uh, International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. And this led to a lot of um, revelations about different companies and individuals who were running all kinds of offshore accounts, amongst them, Bitfinex, right, and Tether. And tether. So that proves the connection that they're the same thing. Right. 
Yeah. And then at that point, people started to admit that, yeah, okay, BitSense and Tether are run by the same people. Got it. So we have multiple red flags there. One is the denial that these two companies are related. The other is the terms of service is saying this is a virtual currency, essentially, it's not real money. But the public positioning was every tether has a dollar, right backed up in a somewhere. Now, at some point, what what well, you can tell me what happens next here. Okay, so what happened after that, I, I kept hitting on their terms of service, and they were getting a lot of flack for that, because I was basically on Twitter just spamming. Anybody talked about Tether, I took a screenshot of the Tether terms of service. It's not backed. And they're always trying to do damage control around that, because obviously you can't, it's, that's pretty, you know, that's a pretty big indictment that it's, you know, your website says it's not, 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 re, not redeemable. So they finally updated the terms of service, and it basically is the same exact thing, but they just worded it a little bit, a lot better, I would say. Um, so now basically in order to redeem tethers, you have to be a verified customer of tether. So what is a verified customer of tether? And that's somebody that they go to the tether website and they go, you know, tether does do some KYC AML for the people that issue, um, tethers. The thing is, it's a very, very small club of people. Um, if you were an offshore entity, you know, uh, and you actually try to go through the terms of service or not terms of service, but you try to go through the approval process to get, you know, into tether, I doubt that you would actually be able to go in there. It seems that their primary customers are basically just some big traders. I, I would doubt that they have more than say 25 customers. So, it's just a couple big large entities. Got it. And so at some point in 2018, the Tether price collapsed for, for some reason. How does a stable coins price collapse? I'm curious. So um, at least in 2017, there was only one actual real legitimate trading pair um, for Tether, and that was actually on Kraken. Mm -hmm. And there was very, very little liquidity on Kraken. So if, if you had 500,000 Tethers, you could actually cause the price of Tether to go to zero, basically, on Kraken. What's interesting about Kraken listing Tether is Kraken only listed Tether like immediately after Tether lost their bank account. Mm -hmm. And Kraken had a bank account. And I actually suggested to, you know, uh, Bitfinex and Tether, it's like, hey, uh, why don't you guys go ahead and take some of your, your reserves and put up a large buy order for Tethers? You know, so, hey, you're claiming you have to, this, this is back when they had, you know, say 50 million tethers, you know, so why don't you go ahead and take $10 million, send it to Kraken and put a $10 million buy order on tether. And you can basically kind of use, use Kraken to, you know, redeem tethers. And, uh, they kind of said, oh yeah, we can't do that. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, why, why can't you just send some money to Kraken and support your own, your own peg, um, yeah. place a massive buy order. So I guess right now the audience is wondering, you seem extremely motivated to, um, uncover uh, what's going on here. What is your motivation for the people in the audience who are thinking about this? Um, I do think that if Tether is allowed to continue, um, I believe that they will eventually trigger a financial crisis. Okay. So you're, you consider yourself a concerned citizen, but maybe this behavior uh, and your obsessiveness about it, people might say, well, that seems a little more extreme. Do you have an axe to grind with them? Did you work for the company and get fired or do you otherwise have some relation to the company uh, that we should know about? I have no relation. Um, they never really, um, before I started doing this, they never did anything to me. I didn't lose any money on Bitfinex. Um, I didn't lose any money in the hack. You know, I really would have, you know, I was originally, I, when I first started, I wanted to make sure that I was right because I didn't want to be somebody that's just a troublemaker. Um, okay. I wanted to go out there and I, I wanted to make sure that they were actually, you know, that they were bad. And I, I very carefully, I listened to all the, all the available recordings of Juan Carlo, Phil Potter. Um, I, I tried to gauge their body language, you know, over their voice, you know, because I didn't want to cause harm to somebody that's doing something and being honest. 
that you know, I, 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 I that, that was it. You know, the only wow. time that I really started getting really, really nasty was when they really got nasty to me. Got it. So before we get to that, so people understand how tethers work. You know, we know there's a blockchain, as it were, for Bitcoin, and the transactions can be seen, and, and it's very um, transparent. Let's say, how does technically tether work can we see every tether in existence do we know where they've moved is it on a blockchain or some equivalent for non-technical people listening yeah yeah so all the tethers they are issued on a blockchain so originally um tether was only one blockchain which was known as omnichain um which the omnichain was ori- originally master coin um and then they they kind of changed it it was try- it was trying to do something similar very similar to ethereum but to do it on the bitcoin blockchain so you could actually see all the tethers being issued um, so every time they issued 100 million tethers, you know, you could, you know, you could see that on a chain that they created these new currency units. They would send them to Bitfinex, they send them to Polonix, they send them to Bittrex, and you could basically follow the tethers. Um, what you don't know is you don't know if they actually have money in the bank account to follow that. And what's really sad is, yeah, you could actually have a blockchain-based stablecoin, and what they could have done is when they get an incoming wire transfer of the 100 million to buy those tethers, they could put the information from that wire transfer, you know, and they can hash it and they can mm-hmm. actually encode it onto the blockchain. So they essentially, they have the rec- all, all the banking records are secretly put onto the blockchain. Got it. And so they, so they would never lose the records. How many tethers are in existence today? And then how much money does tether claim to have? Because we're going to skip ahead here for a minute, but there was, um, we, we had the attorney general from New York take action against tether why did the attorney general take action against them um i think they they took action against them because they figured out that they were 850 million dollars in a hole um after they had a bunch of money seized in april of 2018 and also october of 2018 so they were actually in a hole for a long time but they kind of kept it quiet tether got hacked in november of 2017 right around the time that the new york times article came out on bitfinex um Mm -hmm. and that that hack was very suspicious because it's actually kind of pointless to hack tether Mm because they can just freeze the tokens um it doesn't do anything so there was nothing was lost in that hack there's all they did is freeze those tokens and that was that was kind of the end of it um honestly i'm a little suspicious about that hack but um anyways that i don't think that was why the attorney general started investigating them Every startup needs business insurance, and you should look no further than my friends at Embroker. If you don't have insurance, you failed one of the first steps of being a great entrepreneur. Embroker's technology saves you time and money. Prices are up to 20% lower with better coverage than the incumbents, and you can go from sign up to quote and purchase in just 10 minutes. And trust me, I've been through this for three decades of getting insurance. I'm getting old here, folks. And Embroker is quick, easy and affordable. And there's four types of insurance that are critical in the startup space. I know these like the back of my hand because I'm on the board of companies and I see when things go wrong and I see what the insurance can do in terms of decision making. Cyber insurance, super important. Unfortunately, because things are getting hacked constantly. DNO insurance, that's if your directors and officers, board members, your senior employees do something dumb and you get sued. Let's leave it at that. And ENO, that covers errors and omissions and that will help you scale because any major customer will say, do you have ENO if you want to close a deal? And finally, EPL, employment practices liability. This covers harassment, wrongful termination, and more. So to instantly 
instantly buy custom built insurance for startups go to imbroker.com slash twist e-m-b-r-o-k-e-r.com slash twist while you're there you get an extra 10 percent off if you use the offer code twist please put in the offer code twist so they know that i sent you okay let's get back to this amazing episode but there was some loss of money between bitfinex and tether and then tether covered for bitfinex or that 850 million that was launched that was lost the 850 million dollars that is that was missing um was basically bitfinex's funds and wow. so Bitfinex, because they don't actually have a bank, they didn't have a bank account or they didn't have a bona fide bank account, they were using this company called Crypto Capital. And they basically would instruct their customers, instead of sending money to uh, Bitfinex, you would send money to this Crypto Capital. And then the Crypto Capital would basically report, yep, we got a million dollars from so-and-so. And then Bitfinex would in turn credit that, those accounts with with us dollars you know trusting that crypto capital actually got that money what's interesting is there was no written contract uh between bitfinex and crypto capital no contract but they had 850 million dollars of bitfinex's money basically yeah wow that's super strange mind-blowing so bitfinex they started asking for some of the money you know to honor withdrawals and the crypto capital started you know giving them problems um in april 2018 um there was a they had their polish bank account was uh, shut, they basically shut down and the money got seized by the Polish authorities. And then when that news came out, you know, I obviously caught on to that because um, I knew that was Bitfinex's bank account because there were threads on Reddit showing that this, this Polish bank account. And Bitfinex puts out kind of like an announcement saying, yeah, we don't know what you guys are talking about. That has nothing to do with us. It's just FUD. And they're at that, at that point, they're $400 million in a hole and the price of Tether is still $1, you know, and Bitfinex is not really talking about, you know, anything missing, you know. Um, so six months later, they have another $450 million go missing. And then I guess they got clued in from, you know, one of the guys at, at Crypto Capital that, yeah, this, this money's this money's gone. And uh, that was sometime, I think, early October 2015, or, I'm sorry, October 2018. On October 15th, 2018, all of a sudden, um, the price of Tether went from a dollar to like 80 cents, um, give or take a cent or so. And the price of Bitcoin on Bitfinex, it went up on nearly $2,000 in about 15 minutes. Hmm. Um, and as the price of, Bit of Bitcoin was going up on Bitfinex because of, the, of their liquidity crisis, it was also going up on the, money, the exchanges that have real money because there's bots that will basically automatically start buying Bitcoin every time it starts going up on Bitfinex. You know, they don't actually know why it's going up. They just start automatically just buying it. But it got to the point where the price of, of Bitcoin was about a thousand dollars higher on, uh, on Bitfinex. Mm -hmm. And Bitfinex comes out with a statement saying, oh, everything's fine. I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's no money missing. You know, withdrawals are working just fine. You know, but in reality, um, Juan Carlo was completely freaking out. And on the same day that they had this liquidity spike, which I have a recording of it, by the way, which is kind of very, very amusing to watch. The same exact day, um, Juan Carlos basically going out and saying that if we do not act quickly, the price of Bitcoin is going to fall below $1,000. And that is from the chief financial officer of Bitfinex and Tether. And so the only way that makes any sense at all is if the price of Bitcoin was manipulated by Bitfinex and Tether. And you believe that. You believe they were manipulating the price of Bitcoin. Um, as they were using the stable coin. So in a way, and this was explained to me by somebody I know in the crypto, multiple people in the crypto industry explained it to me this way, that what's happening with Tether is maybe they're front running the, the Bitcoin trades, they're buying right before other people are buying, or they're creating this massive volume. And that Tether, I guess the, the one conspiracy theory here, or one theory is they were 
juicing the price of Bitcoin and then benefiting it from it in some way later on. And that was concerning people in the crypto industry. Yeah. So one of the dumbest things about Tether, honestly, is that it opens it opens you up to be front run because the te- when the Tethers get issued, they're on the blockchain. And for a while, really, the only currency you really could buy was Bitcoin. So if you're a, a large institutional trader, you know, and OK, I have a choice. I can buy U.S. dollars. I'm sorry. I can buy Bitcoin with my U.S. dollars or I can take my U.S. dollars and I can send it to this offshore crypto capital account um, to buy Tethers and then buy Bitcoin. And theoretically, you know, Bitfinex, they decide when they give you your tethers, but they already have your cash. So they could take your, they can take your cash and they go ahead and they, right. they buy Bitcoin with your cash. Pure speculation. Yeah. But yeah, it's possible. Yeah. A day, later, a day later, you take your tethers and you buy it back from them for more money. Crazy. Yeah. So that, yeah. So the, the, the idea of, of somebody buying tether, you know, with actual money, um, you're just opening yourself up to be front run by not only Bitfinex and tether, but everybody watching the blockchain. Whereas you can go on a Coinbase, deposit money on Coinbase, nobody sees that on the blockchain, and you just buy Bitcoin, you know? And so then there's some sort of investigation by the New York Attorney General. And how did they find out about that in 2019? And to decide to do this investigation, then eventually ban Tether from operating in New York City or New York, rather? Yeah, I think they started investigating it sometime uh, in 2018. And uh, through discussions, if you actually, uh, when you look at the New York Attorney General's case, basically, Bitfinex admitted that they had, there, there was money missing. And then the, you know, the Attorney General's like, you know, you guys haven't made this public, you know. So Bitfinex obviously wanted to keep that, you know, they, they, they really wanted to keep that quiet. So I think that's when, when the Attorney General started investigating it. And they, were, they didn't publicly disclose, you know, the, the, the whole lending agreement with, with, you know, with Tether. And uh, what's interesting is just before the uh, Attorney General sued Bitfinex, uh, all of a sudden, we had a sudden we had a bull market. You know, mm-hmm. um, the price of Bitcoin started really skyrocketing just just for fire. And if you actually, when you look at the uh, the emails that was made public by the Attorney General's office, um, there seems to be like a breakdown of communication in late March of 2019. And this is my opinion, um, but I suspect Bitfinex figured out that you know the Attorney General is going to sue sue them, and it would be catastrophic if all of a sudden they get they get sued by the Attorney General. And that's going to cause the price of Bitcoin to go down. Everyone's going to freak out. And the best way to get people to shut up about an investigation or FUD about BitFix is make them think they're all getting rich. So all of a sudden, on April April 1st, 2019, the price of Bitcoin goes up like, you know, a thousand bucks in one day. It went from 3500 to 4500 And then they basically... They triggered a whole new bull market. It went it went from three thousand dollars to uh, around thirteen thousand dollars. Got it. You know, throughout the the whole investigation, you know, throughout the start of the attorney general's invest- and the investigation basically said, if, I'm just going to read from it here. According to counsel for Bitfinex and Tether, in 2014, Bitfinex began a relationship with a believed to be Panama Panamanian entity called Crypto Capital Corp to act as one of their payment processors. In quotes, according to the documents provided to OAG. By respondents, by 2018, Bitfinex had placed over $1 billion in co-mingled customer and corporate funds and crypto capital, and then crypto capital either lost, stole, or fled with $850 million in their money. This led to the New York Attorney General's office to sue iFinex, the parent company of Bitfinex and Tether, in April of 2019. They alleged that iFinex had been co-mingling, blending client and corporate funds between Bitfinex and Tether to cover up the missing 850. So they were dipping into the tether reserves to keep their crypto exchange solvent, I guess is the, the insinuation here. Right. One thing I want to point out is I, I generally like to say that $850 million is missing. One thing that people haven't really caught on um, 
Reginald Fowler, uh, the guy behind, one of the guys behind Crypto Capital, he was caught with $14,000 of counterfeit money and the equipment to make it. So when you're running Crypto Capital and you're, you're physically making counterfeit money. So he had previously done that, you're saying, the Crypto Capital guy, or he was doing a concurrent. Right. He was doing it at the same time. When they, when they arrested him, they searched his offices, they found uncut sheets of $100 bills, $14,000 worth. So he was counterfeiting physical currency. While doing crypto. <laughs> While doing, while doing crypto and running crypto capital. So, you know, it's a lot easier than going through all the hassle of counterfeiting money. Yeah, I got, I got $8 million from this account when there was no actual deposit, you know, and it's a convenient scapegoat for BitFix. Oh, yeah, we had no idea the Reginald Fowler was issuing deposits that without actually getting any money, you know. Since that time, the attorney general said, hey, you got to put out quarterly reports. And a quarterly report came out for the first time in May 2021. And this provided a breakdown of their reserves from March of 2021. And this is what started the whole interest in Tether again with Financial Times, Jim Cramer, CoffeeZilla, myself, and a bunch of folks watching what you're reporting on for these five years. And we said, wait a second, this is a little weird. It's a PDF with a pie chart, and it says they have $60 billion in assets, but 75.85% of them are cash and cash equivalents and other short-term deposits and commercial paper, that last part being loans to other businesses. And this was wholly unsatisfying to a lot of people because it would have made them the sixth or seventh largest commercial paper holder, in other words, holder of loans of other corporate entities. And this is where the black swan start, the black swan discussion begins, which is, wait a second, this is $60 billion. What if 10%, 20%, half of it's not real? What if it's gone? What are the chances that you think it's gone? And what are the what is the worst case scenario if, in fact, there is some giant fraud going on here, which we are not sure of. But as we've discussed, the red flags are such that in my experience, when there's this many red flags, something is not right. Can I say it's a fraud? No. Can I say there's red flags? Yes. Can you say it's a fraud? Or there's just red flags? In my honest opinion, this is one of the largest frauds in financial history. And that's my opinion. Wow. Um, as far as what their commercial paper is, um, the worst case scenario, the paper is junk. Um, what they could be doing in theory is they can find commercial paper that's probably not selling at the, f the full face value. And it's selling for 10 cents in a dollar. And they go ahead, they buy that paper at a discount, maybe give somebody a commission, and then they print up all these tethers. And then they take those tethers and they buy cryptocurrencies and they say, hey, yeah, it's backed by commercial paper. It's technically true. We don't know exactly what that commercial paper is. I suspect it's Chinese commercial paper. Ah, and we know everything in China is on the up and up and that the accounting systems over there are totally squeaky clean. Now, they they have a huge shadow banking uh, system in China. Yeah. So if this were to come apart. What would that look like in your mind? Um, in my opinion, uh, once Tether is actually um, done for, um, once it becomes you know obvious to everybody, it's already obvious to me, but once it's obvious to everybody that this is a massive fraud, I believe you're going to see a huge um, capitulation of the entire cryptocurrency market. Because um, you know, Tether makes up you know, 60-70% of all the actual volume. And in my opinion, it's the Tether activity that really drives in the real money. If you go back and you look at Mt. Gox, Mt. Gox was playing with funny money and they were able to, with funny money, to bring up the price of Bitcoin from $50 to $1,000, $1,200, you know, and it brought up all the other Bitcoin exchanges that had real money. They followed that fake, that, that funny money. And then once Mt. Gox blew up, they, that, they realized that that funny money wasn't really there and that's when the market starts 
crashing because you don't have that funny money, you know, pushing the price up anymore. So Tether is basically just the, the a much, much, much bigger Mt. Gox. And the genius about the Tether scandal um, is the fact that they exported their funny money to dozens and dozens of exchanges. All the Tether exchanges, in, in my opinion, should be considered the same as a single entity because of Tether. So now if the people who own Tether right now, whether they're exchanges or participant in exchanges, are seeing all this talk, especially since this PDF of the pie chart came out, and everybody starts covering it. And it's like, hey, this could be a black swan. Would that not lead to everybody who owns tethers saying get me out of this as quick as possible? I want to cash in my tethers. Interestingly, apparently not. You know, Tether, you know, the, the only time there's ever been any mass redemption of Tether was actually when they had $850 million seized. All of a sudden, they started redeeming um, about $700 million, $800 million um, Tethers were burned um, sometime in October and November 2018. Um, that's the only time we've ever really seen a big burn. There was one burn before that of 30 million Tethers. Um, I suspect that was Phil Potter redeeming his Tethers because that's, that's just before he quit working for Bitfinex and Tether. Got it. So if people are still using this, it's active. Do you think they're out of compliance with the New York Attorney General that asked them to do these quarterly reports? Um, I do believe that, you know, Tether is still doing business in New York, Bitfinex is still doing business in New York, even if indirectly, you know, mm-hmm. um, they're still, you know, and uh, honestly, um, I've, I've seen people that, you know, they're in, they're physically in New York, and they were trading on Bitfinex. So Bitfinex, in my opinion, Bitfinex is still in violation of the uh, settlement <laughs> agreement. Because again, Bitfinex is still not KYC AML compliant. Why wouldn't Bitfinex and Tether just go through a normal audit with PricewaterhouseCoopers, Ernst & Young, somebody like that? Because um, it's hard to do an audit when you don't have the money. So in your mind, they're not going to put themselves through an audit because the money's not there. And that would prove it pretty quickly. But they do have an audit from some firm in wherever they're domiciled in the Cayman Islands. And this is more Cayman is the name of that. That was not an audit. That was an attestation. Okay, so explain to the audience what the difference is between those two. So an attestation is basically that, you know, they'll come and say, hey, on this day, on this time, we saw that there was this much money in this bank account or this, you know, you know, they, they had assets of this value. The problem with the attestation is they actually have cheated with those attestations before. So if you actually look at the first one that they did, um, which was in September of 2017, they literally opened up the bank account the same morning that they did the attestation. They transferred all the money in and then uh, Friedman LLP, they say on this day and this time that there was this much money in this bank account and Friedman, they, they covered, you know, they did, they did it. They did their, you know, their job. They basically said, Hey, we don't know what happened. There's no opinion on what happened before or after this exact time. What's really interesting about the September 15th attestation is the price of Bitcoin fell by about 50%, maybe 40, 50% just two weeks prior to that attestation. And then immediately after the attestation was done, um, the price of Bitcoin started skyrocketing again. And it was actually one of the largest four-hour candles of buying in Bitcoin in in history. The same huh. day, day they did the attestation. So what is your theory there? They sold their Bitcoin and then bought back in to have a giant account? My theory on that was um, they basically were selling all their cryptocurrency that they were buying. And they caused the market, you know, because they weren't they weren't buying Bitcoin to push the price, price up anymore. They were trying to cash in to, to generate enough money to show money in the bank account. Got it. The CEO of Tether has been seen last when? And what's the name of the CEO? 
Um, his name is uh, Gene Lewis. Uh, Gene Lewis Vanderbilt. Sounds like a James Bond villain. <laughs> now he's the CEO. Now my understanding is people have not seen him in years. Is there um, video of that? Do you know if there's video of him ever talking in a public forum? Who is this person? And if somebody was saying this about my company, I would be out there on CNBC talking about and explaining what the big misunderstanding is. But this person hasn't been seen ever. I mean, there was somebody who told me that he may not exist. He's a real person. He absolutely exists. Okay. Um, I, 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 did, I looked, you know, I looked into it, you know, because again, some people thought he doesn't exist. He definitely exists. I can tell you that, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. Where does he live? Do we know? I think it's an, uh, you know, some island on, uh, in Hong Kong. Um, Got it. I can't, I, I can't think of the name off the top of my head right now. Yeah. Um, I, I may be wrong. He, uh, he also might be, may live in the Netherlands. But the thing is, the, the CEO of Bitfinex and Tether, um, in my opinion, he does not actually run Bitfinex and Tether. Um, he's, a, he's a very important character, um, but he does not run it. The person that actually runs it is uh, Juan Carlos Devancini, the, the chief financial officer. And again, he's, he's never been seen anywhere for a long time. They used to do voice interviews, you know, on their, their shareholder um, group, which is called Whale Pool, um, which is run by a bunch of Bitfinex and Tether shareholders. Um, but they ever, ever since I kind of started, you know, throwing shade at them, they really haven't done any real interviews. So uh, for my audience, if anybody knows where these individuals are and can let us know, we'd love to interview them. In fact, the CTO has uh, told us he would come on the podcast after I interacted with them on Twitter. They seem to be interacting with people on Twitter. What can you tell me about? They're trolling back and forth with you and me and other folks on Twitter. Um, the CTO of, of Bitfinex and Tether, honestly, it's quite possible that he doesn't actually know what the hell's going on with their, with their banking and the money because he's just a tech guy. You know, that's like going to Enron and asking their IT guy, hey, what's going on with all this stuff? Yeah, yeah. or in Madoff Circle. Yeah, Madoff Circle, like the IT department might not know. Even the CTO might not know because they were running this off of some, C I think in the Bernie Madoff case, they were running a secret trading floor where only um, the Madoffs were allowed. So Paolo, who is their CTO, you think might not even know that there's a fraud going on here? Right. He, he, he may just believe his employer. You know, he has, he, he, you know, in my opinion, he probably has plenty of the you know, plausible deniability. Hey, I was just the IT guy. I don't know what the hell was going on there. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to know about all that stuff, especially if I'm getting paid, you know, you know, don't tell me anything. And I just, I'll just have plausible deniability. The person you want to want to talk to is Juan Carlo um, Devacini, which has a shady history of himself. He actually used to sell counterfeit software. Um, he actually was fined by Microsoft, I think roughly $60,000 for basically selling, you know, massive amounts of... Uh, and this was years ago. Yeah, this was back in the 90s, you know. Um, but it's, again, it's, it just shows you that the, it's a shady some character. Ca yeah, some character, yeah. Yeah. What have you learned recently about uh, the company and where they're at right now and how they're taking this recent round of scrutiny? Because they interact with you, correct? On Twitter and social media? Indirectly, I do have the, the the lawyer does have me blocked. I have Paolo blocked. He hasn't actually blocked me yet, but he'll probably block me after this. But but uh, there really hasn't been you know it's it's usually kind of always indirect you know uh, attacks. You know they ha he has you know kind of like you know tweeted you know some of my stuff and he's got he's taken pictures screenshots of my tweets. Um, I think he I think he noticed that he actually took I think it was a t one of my tweets and one of your tweets. He actually like you know I, I did see that yeah. a screenshot posted it yeah you know in, ca in case I delete it like I don't I. I really, I, 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 the only tweets I delete are ones with have typos or something like that. Yeah. And to be clear here, we just would like to see, I'm just speaking for myself here. You've, you've given your position. My position on it is, um, 
you know, having watched Theranos and having watched Enron when I was a journalist and seeing multiple scams and frauds, um, they always had a very slow burn up until they were found out. It took the, the Madoff case took, yeah, I think seven or eight years of whistleblowers talking about it for it actually to implode. And so my spidey sense just went off with this. And I, I was like, huh, this doesn't seem right. So let's get some answers. And when you probe and you don't get answers, okay, then maybe there's something there. So let's pivot here, I think. Is there anything else on Tether we should discuss? Because I was going to pivot over to Circle and their stablecoin for a moment. Um, not off the top of my head. I mean, it, it could go on for you know, it could go on forever. You know. Is there another? There's only 13 people who work at this company. Is that correct? Where that's the reported number of people, or nobody knows. That's that's the reported. Um, they they hire people just to use their name, so they're real people, you know, and they do officially work there, but they don't actually. So, so sock, basically, like um, window dressing uh, for it. Yeah. Is there another date or time when you think there's going to be a critical come to Jesus moment for Tether, or is it just unknown when this is all going to come kind to of unknown? Um, I think eventually people are going to figure out what, where their commercial paper is if they wow. have the commercial paper. Because Financial Times is on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the Financial Times being on the story, they said all the people they know who d trade in uh, commercial paper have never heard of Tether. Right. Which is kind of interesting. They could, if Tether wanted to, just give a detailed report on who, which paper they own. And then we'd all go, okay then you could make a better decision here of is that quality money or not? Right. The, the reason why they don't do that is because it's going to cause another problem. That, that breakdown that they, that they were kind of forced to by the attorney general, you saw how the market reacted to that. Mm. That was bad. You know? So they don't want to do that. The only reason why they published that was because they were kind of forced to. Mm. So um, they did it. They try to hide it as good as they can. But again, it's just brought in a lot more scrutiny. So if they do like with the SPACs, you know, the SPACs list everything that the SPACs owns. If they do that, people are going to realize this is junk. And okay. that would so basically be the end of it. So that's a perfect segue. Um, I've known Jeremy Allaire, a famous internet entrepreneur who created Cold Fusion. I've known him or known of him since the late 90s when he created Cold Fusion because we built a lot of software in the industry on Cold Fusion. Then he went on and did, um, I think, Brightcove a video company that I remember. And I, I think I've had him on the podcast talking about Brightcove or... You know, I'm, I'm not friends with him as such. I'm just colleagues in the industry. If, you know, we would recognize each other and say hi at a conference or maybe, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm trying to think of the last time I ever saw him in person in probably 10, 20 years ago. But I do know him. And Circle bought a friend of mine's a company, Seed Invest. They've raised from very knowledgeable people and they have their own stablecoin called USDC. So US dollar T is Tether, USDC is Circle. They operate in the United States in all these different jurisdictions, and they've given some indication of what they have in their reserves. And they have Grant Thornton, which is pretty notable firm here in the United States, doing that attestation. Uh, what are your thoughts on the difference between USDC and uh, USDT, especially in light of the fact that today it was announced that 
uh, Circle is going to SPAC. So they will be under even more scrutiny as a public company. So USDC, I think, um, again, it started just like Tether. They're kind of being transparent. They're you know showing that the attestations were showing that it was US dollars in the bank account. And sometime in around, I think it was around March of 2020, they they change the format of their attestations and in the attestations they they went from saying you know US dollars in a bank account to US dollars and approved investments and the problem with that is they do not exactly explain to us what the approved investments are and again i have ptsd from tether Got so it. when i see something like that it's a red flag I just want to know what the approved investments are. And I, I wrote a couple of blog posts on Circle, um, and I want to be sure that I'm not accusing him of really doing anything wrong. The only thing that he's doing wrong right now, in my opinion, is they need to be transparent. Yeah, a higher level of transparency would make you more comfortable seeing what happened with Tether. And, in, you know, I might give him the benefit of the doubt, knowing he's, in, you know, somebody who's been in the industry for 30 years, and that they're spacking and that they have Grant Thornton, who wouldn't want to touch this if it was something Fugazi. But what is the business model, do you think, of these stable coins? Because I'm curious why people can't just make a stable coin that is $1 in the bank account. Is it that everybody wants to try to make money on the spread or provide a return on the investment? You know, interest, in other words? It, it seems they want to do something more risky than just buying treasuries for some reason. Because um, oh. you can actually make a lot of money. Just you, if, if you have $60 billion and you're making, you, you just buy government T-bills, even at a very low interest rate. I mean, if you made 1%, you'd make 600 million a year. Yeah. Um, and then that would be your money for running the service. Just like what you see with SPACs, you know, the SPACs, they, they manage $220 billion and they take, you know, a little bit of, I think they take 0.4, 0 0.5% themselves. Yeah. They get what's called a promote for putting it all together. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. Everybody has to get paid in some way. Yeah. Right. And it shows, they show, they show all the reserves. They've been running for about 30 years. I think it was sometime in 1990 or 1981 when they started doing this, uh, the SPACs. Um, and I, I actually cited that as an example that, hey, you know, um, to circle. Like, hey, just here's an example of how to, how to do a, uh, yeah. you know, even if you can't do an audit, you know, just publish it's what pretty, your reserves are. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that what Circle is doing is a hundred times more regulated than what Tether's doing. We'd agree on that, correct? Right. Yep. You would agree on that as the, as the most critical person. So it's 100 times more, and you just want another 10% more clarity. Totally agree with you. And, and, and I have been DMing with Jeremy Allaire, and he has said he's going to come on the program. So I think in the next two weeks, he'll be on the program. Now, the CTO also said he would, <laughs> of Tether said he would come on the program. But uh, we, he's not responding to us now. So we will uh, keep going after that. But The only yeah. people I would really suggest talking to would be uh, Juan Carlos Davosini or um, Vanderveld. Well, I'll talk to I'll talk to any of them just to kind of get a feel for them. Um, now, let me ask you this: You have been super critical. You said here you believe it's a fraud. Now, if it was wasn't a fraud, and I was them, I would find out who you are and sue you into oblivion. Have they sued you into oblivion and taken legal action against you? No. Um, interestingly, though, they did threaten me um, to sue me sometime. I think they hired a PR firm out of New York called 5WPR. Um, he put a press release basically saying that they're going to explore like legal options. And I was actually December 4th of 2017. So that hasn't happened yet, right? No, they haven't. You know, they haven't sued me. They did threaten me and I did take some precautions um, because, you know, I, you know, I, I was, you know, you know I, was, I was a little concerned.
Yeah, of course. They're still doing the, you know, they're still allegedly doing the audit with uh, with Friedman LLP. So, you know, there was always, hey, there's a possibility that, you know, they, they do the audit with Friedman LLP and the audit comes out and says, everything's okay. And hey, you were wrong. Yeah. But uh, very interestingly, uh, two days after they threatened to sue me, they got subpoenaed by the CFTC. Fascinating. So yeah. that happened. The, the, P, the PR guy quit. You know, because um, the PR guy, I kind of, I, I basically only tweeted him like, because he started attacking me, you know, doing his job and calling me a liar, blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately for him, the PR guy, his press release that he sent out to reporters, I found out he made a false statement in that mm -hmm. press release. And I took the false, I, I had proof of the false statement because he contradicted what the auditor with Freeman LLP did for the attestation. And after that, he disappeared. Hmm. And the Am reporters apparently, they... They, they went to uh, ask him about a, a question about Bitfinex, and he responded saying, yeah, we no longer represent Bitfinex. Got it. So I don't know who you are. Um, just to make it clear to everybody, we contacted you through your Twitter handle. You decided you would come on and talk to us. Thank you for doing that. We don't know who you are. So disclaimer, who knows uh, if what you're saying and what percentage of it is true, but you have been chronicling this for four or five years now, and we thought it would be good to just have you on record talking about it. Do they know who you are? I'm no. curious. They still they don't know. Th who they you think are. they know, but they, they, they don't, you know, so. You um, are telling us here, you don't have an ax to grind with them. You didn't work for them. You weren't a former partner. You're not a disgruntled co-founder, nothing like that. No. Got it. Uh, but you are pro-crypto. If I can just get your take generally on crypto, you are a fan of crypto and you own crypto. I have zero cryptocurrency. You have zero cryptocurrency. Yeah, I have no absolutely no holdings of any cryptocurrency. Until uh, this tether issue is resolved, um, I would advise anybody to stay away from it. Um, once it's once tether goes away and it's kind of resolved, you know, then we'll see what happens. Did you trade crypto back in the day? Were you a crypto holder and a fan of crypto over the last decade? I was a speculator. Yes, um, I actually. So I, I, by trade, I was a programmer, um, and I've, I've been honestly I've been programming for decades, um, mostly C, uh, mostly C plus plus. Um, so I actually, for when I first heard about Bitcoin you know, back in 20, 2009, I actually downloaded it. And I you know I, I looked at the code. I, I actually thought it was quite beautiful. But then you know I didn't really do anything with it. I just kind of you know just, I went back to work. You know, and basically in April 2011, I think there was an article on Slashdot saying that. Bitcoin reached parity with the US dollar. And so I used to basically kind of look back into it. And just as a gamble, I put a little bit of money into it, mm. you know. And uh, I really never, after that, I, I, I didn't really buy any more Bitcoin. I just would slowly sell off small, small portions of it, you know. So you've done well for yourself in crypto. Yeah, I, you know, in 2017, that's kind of when I, I started, you know, it, it became a, an amount of money that, you know, I need to look closer into this and see what the hell's going on with this. Because um, I always felt that there was something wrong with the trading. But mm. because the price always went up, over time, I didn't really care, but I always, there's something wrong with the trading. And so I decided to just, you know, you, you, if, you're, if you're holding a lot of something and you're trying to investigate it, you're going to have a clouded view of what the hell is going on. You know, you're so, going to have, you're going to have a bias. Yeah. So to, to wrap up here, you, um, you believe that Bitcoin is a great fundamental, you know, revolutionary technology and that there are other actors, bad actors manipulating it. So this would explain maybe part of the tension that we're feeling in the crypto economy is there's a real technology which is beautiful as you describe it and that could be great for humanity but because it is not owned or controlled or audited by anybody and has no regulations associated with it people could then manipulate it and do all kinds of scams around it 
Is that an accurate uh, sort of description of your take on what's happening here? It's pretty accurate. Um, there are some fundamental problems with Bitcoin itself um, that mm-hmm. I actually, even when I was a speculator, um, I felt that you know they need to increase the block size. They need to increase the tr- transaction capacity of Bitcoin. And as a programmer, I I struggle with how they, that's a very difficult problem to solve to actually have you know the, how much you know, the of, scalability. Uh, how much of Bitcoin's price do you think? is the result of manipulation? Um, everything past 2017, early 2017. So anything past $3,000, $2,000, is that about where it was back then? Honestly, I, I, I believe that um, we don't know. It, it's impossible to determine where the price would be right now. Without manipulation. But you believe there is a lot of manipulation, some manipulation, an extraordinary amount of... Extraordinary amount of manipulation. Extraordinary. Okay, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So that's why I gave you a number of choices there from minor... To occasional. That's a, that's a good, it's extraordinary. See, I've always felt watching this, knowing that people can paint the tape and create false volume, that a lot of the volume was false on coin market cap and those kind of sites. And that all of these, they were putting together all of these exchanges that are unregulated. So I, you and I, for example, could create a hundred different exchanges, pop them up. Nobody would know the providence of those exchanges. Then we could take our $10 million in cryptocurrencies and just slosh them between our accounts and create volume while we had already bought in a large percentage of crypto and sell it off. Then if we could stop trading, which would then create less demand for Bitcoin, watch it collapse, buy some more and then do that over again. Buy it back and do it, do it, do it over and over again. One thing I want to add, uh, even Coinbase had watch trading. You know, they actually admitted to it in the CFTC um, fine that they actually had an employee that worked with them. I suspect it was Charlie Lee because, you know, Coinbase listed Litecoin and 99% of the trading of Litecoin was a Coinbase employee. Really? So very interesting. Yeah. And that was Coinbase. And Coinbase is supposed to be this trans, you know, the, the leader, you know, of, of compliance. And they had an employee that was Wall Street. Yeah, they got and they got fined. The CFTC fined them $6.5 million dollars. Um, for this improper trading from a foreign employee. So the concept of wash trading here would be, I buy, a bu- I'm a bad actor, I buy a bunch of this coin, Litecoin in this case, then I create fake trades between accounts, different wallets, I could do that, you're a developer, we could write a, co- a script to do that, fire up a bunch of different instances and start trading between them, other people see it's getting more and more active, on coin market cap or other rankings of coins. And they say, Oh, well, there's a lot of activity, I should buy that one, because people are interested in it. Is that what the strategy is? Right. And then, they're, they're, and then they end up buying it from, you know, these, these Wall Street accounts, and they keep the, you know, they, they, you know, they keep pushing the price up, wow. and then they buy it again. And, you know, and you don't, you know, you don't realize that you're, you're buying from, you know, the person that's wash trading it. It's both wash trading and painting the tape. So they're they kind of they're, they're very similar. You know, wash trading. Um, a lot of times when they're actually doing wash trading, the price usually stays about the same. Mm. Um, they're just trying to increase the volume. They're not trying to push the price up. Painting the tape. You know, they're trying to either push the price up or push it down because they do both. They they do both. Uh, is that the difference? I was wondering what the difference is. So wash trading, you're creating volume, but painting the tape, which comes from back in the day when you would have the tape coming out of a ticker tape with stock quotes on it, painting the tape means trying to, we decide, you know, uh, to buy shares in a company from each other, if it was a stock, at increasingly higher prices, to create excitement that it's going up, other people buy in, but they don't know that we bought in for a dollar. And we painted the tape up to $5. And then the suckers come to the poker table and start buying in at five, four, three, 
two and we double our money or more. Right. And in crypto, they, they do it both ways. They'll, they'll go ahead and they'll, they'll put a bunch of their own buy orders, for example. You know, let's, let's say that they know that, you know, the, the amount of legitimate buy orders is a small amount, you know, between two, between two prices. So they'll go ahead and they'll fill up their own, the order book with their own buy orders and they'll just crash the price. And they'll, they'll make the price go down 20, 30%. And yes, there's going to be some of the, some buy orders that get lucky and they, they, you know, they got into that, but they really, they, they sold, you know, 50 million Bitcoin, Bitcoin, but you know, 48 million of it, they sold it to themselves, but they caused the price to go down a lot and they caused a panic and people piled into it. And if they're short on BitMEX, for example, now all their short positions are, you know, in massive profit, profit. And they didn't actually really have to sell any Bitcoin. You know, they sold a little bit to the people that you know, were lucky and put it put in a buy order. All right, listen, thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks for uh, being on the case as it were. Hopefully, uh, this all resolves itself. And it's all a giant misunderstanding. But in my experience, when there's this many red flags, you know, maybe some agencies, three letter agencies should get really deep in this and find out what's going on here. Because the longer this goes on, that is unresolved, the more egg people are going to have on their face right now. I gotta think that there are a lot of three letter agencies up in these people's grills and in their books, or tracking them. Because with this much public scrutiny and the press on it, from Jim Cramer to the FT, you got to think that the feds and everybody know what's going on here. You would hope. Yeah. There's a reason why my, my logo is a flame. <laughs> I, you know, it's a, it's a bit snicks and it's a fl- the logo and it's on fire. There you go. All right. We'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye. <laughs>